Hi friends and welcome to our second episode on the two-part series on environmental justice. I am so thankful that I got to break this down into two different sections and to be able to have both of these conversations with dear friends about how they are practicing environmental justice. This conversation is going to be with my friend Kaylina Wong. Um, she and I are just in this together in a lot of ways. It has been so good to be able to partner with her and come alongside her and for her to come alongside me as we have sought out what environmental justice and what caring for the earth looks like in our respective contexts for right now. A funny story about Kaylina and I that I feel like is just worth sharing for this podcast. Um, Kaylina and I lived together this past year in a house where we all were practicing vegetarians and we tried to reduce as much of our waste that was going to landfills as possible. One of the ways that we did that was through composting. And at this time, we were both living in Chicago. This was our last uh, last semester of college. Chicago in the winter is cold. Sometimes more than cold, it is freezing. And that freeze does not allow compost to grow and to flourish very well. So for the entirety of the winter, we collected our compost in a couple of different places. We would keep it uh, for the week, normally like in our house to be able to put food scraps and stuff in. Then we filled up our compost bin that we um, were renting and then we just ended up putting it in as recycling bin and trash can that we decided that we would take over to our kind professor, Dr. Yoder, who you probably heard about in the previous podcast, we decided we would take it over to her house whenever it started getting warm. And when we had to move out of the house and we didn't want to leave the next residence with a whole bunch of stinky trash, not trash, plants. And so when it started to get warm, we decided that we are going to go ahead and get this compost out of the way. So Kaylina and I had class uh, in the afternoon at our professor's house, and so we figured, well, we'll just take it then. So this garbage can that we had full of plant scraps and eggshells and paper products that you can compost we was pretty full, and it was leaking. So there was no way that we were going to be able to put it into our friend's car because that was... First of all, going to mess up her car. And second of all, we really did not want compost juice all over us as well. So we decided that we were going to roll the garbage can the mile and a half from our house to our professor's house. So this is something that honestly is not that unusual for Kaylina or I. Um, I know I've been known to walk five, six miles sometimes just for the heck of it. And Kaylina is one of the people that I admire the most in just the practical ways that she does things and the fact that she just doesn't think about how unacceptable culturally it may be to walk your compost a mile and a half somewhere. So we set out on our journey to get to class carrying this compost 
and basically this trip meant that we walked to campus, ended up picking up some other friends' compost, then ended up walking through almost downtown of our school, or downtown of our college town, across train tracks, and then up another major street to get to our professor's house. We ended up picking out some friends along the way, and we kind of walked and talked, but it was probably, you know, it was a very heavy compost bin. And we both got to Dr. Yoder's house, and both of the wheels of the garbage bin had been worn off in the process of rolling it that far because garbage bins are not intended to be rolling that far. And it just ended up being a story to that I felt like just encapsulated so much of our drive to live out these principles and these practices that we had been thinking about for a while. Uh, was it the most practical thing? Was it the easiest thing? Absolutely not. I was super sore the next day from carrying that 50 pound plus bin of compost, but it was it's a result of a lot of our practice of it. So I just wanted to share that with you because I just think it's kind of a funny story. And also because there may be aspects that are challenging and reflect upon what we talk about today as well, um, where composting and where caring for the environment end up being really inconvenient things. But the deal is, is that we can shape our paradigm of convenience to look differently. And through that, and through looking at it differently, we're able to see how perhaps this is a convenient thing, because perhaps there will be cleaner air or plants or less plastic in general in our world. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Kaylina. Kaylina, I am so glad that you are here and joining us on This Is What We Are About. I just love our conversations around environmental justice, and I think there's proof in the fact that we have a PowerPoint <laughs> for it all. Um, <laughs> and I'm just excited for what this conversation can have. Yeah, thank you so much, Camille, for inviting me and bringing me into this conversation. I can't wait to talk more about really realistic ways that we implement creation care in our daily lives and how that's affected us. Yeah. I think this is something that we talk a lot about is how we practically do it. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit right now about how you are currently practicing creation care. Well, I currently find myself in a tall sky rise building in downtown Honolulu where there is little to no infrastructure in the building itself. And given that we are in a very urban setting, there's a very little green space around me, surprisingly. And so it's been actually a challenge to carry out the creation care ethics that I formed in college here back in Honolulu. 
To give a little bit of background, I was born and raised in Hawaii, and here in Hawaii, we have a very strong sense of caring for the earth because we are very connected with it. The Hawaiians had a very strong history of caring for the earth and being farmers and fishermen and women. And so growing up, we were always taught to malamara aina, which is a Hawaiian Creole saying for respecting the earth. And so... Growing up, I just learned that recycling is what you do. You always turn off the lights when you leave room. You always turn off water. You always use the extra water in your water bottle to water the plants outside. And so I was shocked when I came to the mainland United States and that wasn't the case. Yeah. I was just very surprised that there were people that didn't have this a part of their day-to-day life. And it really made me reflect on why I do things that I do and why caring for the environment is important. Mm. But to go back to your initial question, currently I'm working on convincing my family that composting is worth it. And so every time I see little cut vegetables when we're prepping dinner, I keep reminding them, put them in the compost, put them in the compost. And my parents say things like, oh, we don't have time for that, even though I do the entire work of composting. But it's just like a really slow process of educating other people of the importance of composting and recycling and biking more and taking the bus and really embracing those opportunities that we have to care for the earth. Yeah. But I do know that living in Houston isn't necessarily easy on caring for the earth because your infrastructure doesn't really let you do that. So what do you do? What does it look like now that you're in a new place? Yeah, I feel like I'm still definitely trying to figure it out because Houston and Texas in general is much more reliant on oil and being spread out. It's such a huge state that you have to drive three hours to get anywhere or to get to the next large city. And I think that's just indicative of how lifestyle is here. People are willing to drive long distances. There's a lot of just sprawl and development that has happened, which takes away a lot of the greenery and trees and also leads to things like really significant flooding, like what happened after Hurricane Harvey. So trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to live practically while caring for the environment within the other aspects of life here have been has been really interesting it's looked like composting and recycling which recycling here basically means i collect all of the recycling that we have each week and then sort it out myself and then drive it 3 miles actually like 6 miles down the road to the recycling depository where then I sort it into the specific bin that it's supposed to be in. Something I've thought a lot about is just the inconvenience of all of it being worth it. That's been some of it. I'm also trying to slowly make my way towards zero waste. Mm -hmm. Basically, my philosophy has been like one plastic item that is emptied, I will replace with something that I can either reuse Mm -hmm. or a way to reduce my waste in it. So... I just bought aluminum 
or a toothpaste that's in an aluminum tube where I can recycle that tube versus plastic. And I'm looking into bamboo toilet paper currently as well. Oh, wow. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I was doing all this research today because, like, if you think about the amount of toilet paper that we in the U.S. use, it's insane. It honestly kind of makes me want to gag. It's so gross. <laughs> so, one, one moment. I What is the benefit of using a bamboo-sourced toilet paper versus a tree, other tree-sourced toilet paper? Yeah, so the same way of toothbrushes being bamboo or your hairbrush being bamboo, bamboo is a much more regenerating plant than trees. Toilet paper is primarily all made of bleached paper. So if it's bleached, it can't be composted. And if it's paper, then that means that it's definitely causing some kind of deforestation somewhere. So being able to use bamboo toilet paper means that for every piece of toilet paper, there's a less of a time between that time when that toilet paper is being made and or it's being used in the time when, say, the tree that it was cut down for and the next tree grows. Mm -hmm. So whereas it takes like 40 years, it's more like a five-year process. Can you give me an update on how your composting has been going? It is going pretty well. We grew some nice mealworms, which was fun. Oh. Um, Not on purpose, but there was a lot of them. Okay. But yeah, it's going well. I drop it off at a local urban farm um, that supports refugees each week and have tried biking there a couple of times and also normally just kind of do like a catch all errand and do recycling and compost in the same trip anytime that I do it. So I know this has been something that, like, as you talked about, it's partially contextual it's partially out of a commitment to the earth that is founded in where you grew up and just lifestyle choices from a very young age but what informs your your practices of creation care well I think a lot of it does come from my natural interest in the subject interest in plants and caring for the earth but I also have a deep commitment to caring for marginalized peoples all over the world in the way that I live my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so if we were talking about products and buying ethically, maybe not necessarily in the green conversation, we'd be talking about supporting various companies that don't use workers that are going through human rights abuses or that have like history of injustice or maltreatment of the workers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is informed by my desire to care for marginalized peoples because marginalized peoples, that is people that are economically not as well off as others around them will be disproportionately negatively affected by climate Mm -hmm. change And so as a Christian, I have a unique lens that I see we have a responsibility to care for people who are economically not as advantaged as other people. And also through a human lens, when we eat meat, when we carelessly use 
car fuel or when we travel all around the world using fuel from airplanes, and I'm completely guilty of this, we are choosing to be comfortable and to have our preferences in a way rather than caring for the people now who will be negatively affected by climate change. And we can just look at this simply in thinking that when climate change does occur in a given place and people suffer, rich people have the money to leave and poor people do not in a very simplistic way of looking at it. And so as sea levels continue to rise, as they are doing in Hawaii also, Mm. more people along the coasts will be kicked out of their homes, will need to evacuate. And this is just sea level. This is one tiny topic amidst hundreds of topics in regards to climate change. But those people will need to relocate. And if you don't have money to do so, what are you going to do? It it puts you at a complete, a, a step back in your inability to be on a fair playing field in society. And that is why I care. Whether or not I'm a Christian, of course that influences that that is influenced by my biblical understanding of caring for your neighbor and loving God through that. But even that aside, we as human beings should care for one another and realize that our that our actions are interconnected. We are not isolated beings, but we are all connected and your actions in Houston affect people all over the world just as mine do here mm-hmm. in Hawaii. Preach girl. Preach. <laughs> Thanks, Camille. I think that's... <laughs> I'm not alone. I mean, I think it's something that's, like, missing from a lot of the discussion, especially within the Christian culture on this subject. I think a lot of Christians push back because it's not something that aligns with maybe the political group that they are a part of, or they push back because it's maybe just not the way that they believe in creation and God's work in that and all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. when we look at what loving our neighbor looks like, it has to be through environmental justice as well as other aspects. Like it all has to intersect together and we can't Mm -hmm. just ignore this massive thing that's going to like kill us all off in 10 years. So yeah, totally agree. It is a, this scientific factual occurrence that is happening has somehow become politicized in a way that is, (laughs) it's just not Mm -hmm. right. We are making, little arguments on which side should take a stance on climate change and environmental policy when we are all involved, parties aside, in climate change. And when things continue to happen, it won't matter which way Mm -hmm. you voted. If you supported the conservatives or or the Democrats, I mean the liberals, but we are all interconnected. Like you said, we cannot ignore this and social justice goes beyond party lines. Yeah, it so does. And especially, I think, like, it's not just a moral issue at this point. It's, do you want to save your own life? Honestly, like, I feel like you can make that argument to a certain extent. Because we, like, look at the climate change report that came out last week, which every time I think about that, it just, it makes me just, like, freeze and freak out because... It's really depressing to think about 
the fact that 10 years, like I can, I can conceptualize what 10 years is. And that's terrifying to think that our world could be like so drastically changed in just that short amount of time. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Well, I I think that leads us into a good conversation of thinking of ways that we can make small changes in our own lives, even if, let's say, governments or political leaders or whoever it may be who's leading is not making change, we still have the power and the influence to change our sphere of influence and to make tiny steps in caring for the environment, even with our small choices, like what toilet paper we buy and what toothbrushes we buy and what meat or produce or our dollars are acting as a vote. When we buy from certain companies and from certain industries, we are, in a sense, supporting them politically by saying, yes, we encourage your work. Yeah, there are just so many of those small choices that can be made. Us and the fact that we have a PowerPoint that we're working on of different ideas and products and aspects that you could work on to help reduce a footprint. And also, I've also thought about it in some of the more, the bigger things. In the fact that our midterm elections are coming up, I think that is a great opportunity to vote for your senator or congressman and women who could and who can and who do advocate for different climate change policy. And so voting for those people or calling up your congresspeople and saying, yo, check this out. <laughs> Part of us calling our congresspeople for climate change or for creation care or environmental justice is exactly that. It's justice for other aspects of oppression that are also happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on small principles and small actions? Well, I think when you get news like the report the UN published last week, I think the problem of climate change just seems so daunting and it just seems too much for even a Mm. giant powerful country or countries to handle. And we're not handling them, these problems in very good ways so far. And so I think it's necessary to not almost lose hope in the overwhelm of it all to look at the small scale things and look at the small steps we can make in our own lifestyles that can really make a difference. And so One of the biggest lifestyle changes that I've made in the past few years has been cutting out meat because I've just read a lot and watched a lot of different documentaries and heard various interviews of scientists and health nutritionists talking about the impact of meat Mm -hmm. in our own bodies and how it's not good for our bodies and for our health, but also the incredibly bad impact that it has on the environment and cutting out meat is a very, very practical way to serve your brothers and sisters who are economically not as privileged as others because you are reducing your carbon footprint. You are minimizing the funds that are being poured towards an industry that has many ethically questionable standards. And it's just a very tangible way you can make a change. And you can even start off with cutting out meat once a week or 
twice a week, once a day, whatever you can handle, but continually decreasing it because I think that is that is one area that I think a lot of people are misinformed about the impact that it has and specifically the negative yeah. impact. But we yeah. really need to pull our crap together. Yeah. Us as human beings, us as Christians. What do you think, and I think this is something that I am always fearful of whenever I present my care for the environment and for environmental justice. I I think I'm fearful of a response being like, well, that is such a privilege to be able to care for the environment because of the fact that I can afford, even though I'm living at the poverty line, like even though I can afford toothpaste that comes in an aluminum bottle and bamboo toilet paper, I can walk into a Whole Foods and feel like I fit in. Like those are, those are privileges. And so how do we, how, how would you respond to something like that? Well, there's a lot of truth in that, in recognizing that people of color or people marginalized by society, whatever area that you want to focus on that is not as privileged as others, I think that there is truth in seeing that they are not as welcomed into those spaces, whether it be because it's too expensive in a way, to care for the environment because it is expensive to buy these things rather than use the things you already have. Or it's expensive to put your time into this because your time could be used elsewhere. And that's a reality that people like you and I can see small glimpses of in the various experiences and Mm -hmm. lifestyles that we have. But we will never fully experience because we did not grow up in underprivileged areas that looked down on us because of our race or uh, various reasons. Um, But I think there is a lot of strength in community and that whatever socioeconomic background you find in or you find yourself in, or let's say racial background or gender, sexual orientation, whatever background you come from, doing things in community can be a source of so much support and power working together and so I just think back to when we were living together and eating vegetarian was so much more easy with other people in the house saying yes I support that and we will do this together we'll share vegetarian meals and we'll go and make an event out of going to the market and getting vegetables and we'll get excited about different restaurants in town and so I think that's one example but in small ways, we can use community to support one another through our commitment to mm-hmm. creation care and to caring for the environment and others, because it's really hard to do it alone, especially when you don't have the privileges of just walking into a Whole Foods and being able to afford everything. And that's a reality that is very, mm-hmm. very true for many people. And we yeah. can't just dismiss that. Yeah. But that is a really hard question. I think that leads to a thought, too, of how to practice and how hospitality is integrated into caring for the earth. Do you have any thoughts Mm. on that? (laughs) Camille, you can't just throw all these at me. I don't know yet. Like, I'm just thinking, like, how I think about, like, this idea of community. And it is so much easier when the entire community is doing it, but... You know right now, and I know right now, that when there is either a lack 
of community or the people within your community are not practicing these same kind of principles, then it's a lot harder. So how do we invite people, and that's the idea of hospitality, into these practices? Well, in one very practical way, I think that everyone loves food across (laughs) so many different backgrounds. And sharing food can be such a great way to commune together, to get to know people, to invite others into your space or invite others into your life. And so I think a very practical and accessible way to care for others without, let's say, shoving this environmental craziness down their throat, if that's the way they see it, is to invite them for a meal. Um, I cook for my parents a couple times a week, and every single time I cook a vegetarian or or vegan meal, and every single time my dad says he's going to wither up and die because he doesn't have a steak. (laughs) And sometimes he does go into the kitchen, cut up some turkey, bring it back, and have it with the vegetarian meal, but sometimes he doesn't. And I think just the fact that I am bringing this into this space and I'm saying I'm trying not to be judgmental, but I'm bringing this and saying, this is what I care about. This is how I eat. And I want to bring you into this. I think that's a huge step in even getting familiar with this idea of caring for the earth through our food and through our purchases. And that wouldn't happen if I just confronted them and said, you're hurting the environment because you're eating meat. You need need to stop. You're morally unethical. Because no one's going to respond well to that. And I definitely used to be like that. And it never worked out. (laughs) Sorry, parents. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, too, like, the idea of inviting people into your space to do that. Having people come over where you're not eating out. And then you're also inviting people into your life rather than simply into this moral high ground that you're standing on. (laughs) Yes. And it's like offering a, a different kind of view of things. Yeah. Yeah. But it does take patience and grace for yourself and others when being in community with people who have very different values. And we will probably have that for the rest of our lives, regardless of what views we have on anything. We just are not, exactly like the person next to us. And so we'll continue to be learning about this practice of hospitality and bringing others into caring for the environment. Maybe it'll get easier, but the challenges will still be there in different ways. Yeah. Mm. So true. Can I read you as we close a quote that I was reading through a Christianity Today article recently? Yes, please. This quote was said by Gus Speth, who was um, the previous dean of Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. So I I mean, he's pretty knowledgeable on this Mm -hmm. stuff. But this is what he said about the challenges of caring for the environment. I used to think that top global environmental problems were biodiversity, loss, ecosystem collapse and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. 
We scientists don't know how to do that. End quote. Mm. Yes. I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kalina, for your wisdom and the ongoing conversations that we get to have around this topic. I I love it, too. I love it so much. Um, And I'm so glad that we get to explore this together. Me, too. We're not in it alone. Amen. We are not. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of This Is What We Are About. We are indeed about environmental justice, and I am so glad that we have gotten to share this time and this space together for the past two episodes. Our next one will be coming up soon, and it is on another topic that I am a huge fan of and am wrestling through. In the meantime, feel free to like and subscribe and share And I just hope that this can be a place in a space that you are able to rest and reflect in. Talk to you all later. Love you all lots. Bye.